0: Now, if you've been following along with us in the series of Romans, we find last week that we completed the first section of the book of Romans, and the first section consisted of chapter 1, chapter 2, and the first 20 verses of chapter 3, and the theme was really heavy. Now, I think I'll probably find that people might start coming back to church because we're finally done after week after week after week talking about the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the condemnation by God on the lives of you and I as a sinner, born as a sinner. It can become a very heavy, heavy topic to seek, to to teach week after week after week. You think it's hard to hear it. Imagine me having to teach it. But today we can breathe. Today we can talk about the next section. And the next section will take us here in verse 21 of chapter 3 all the way through Romans chapter 5, verse 21. We will see the second second section of the book, and it's about the righteousness of God and what a blessing it is to teach this aspect and to hear this aspect of the teaching. Now, if you remember in this first section, we, we talked about... Uh, And Paul wrote about four different groups. Now, if you remember them, the first group was the paganists, the ones who rejected God. They were deserving of the wrath of God. Then the second group we learned was the moralists, those who were judging others in place of God. They thought they were God, so I have the ability to judge others. They were deserving of the wrath of God. Then we saw the third group. The third group was the religionists, those who thought they had a right standing with God just because they were a religious person, because they knew the word of God, and they were somehow automatically uh, going to not deserve the wrath of God. They didn't have to worry about anything. And then we saw the fourth group, which was us, the rest of us, everyone else who is guilty of being a sinner. And we learned that we were sinners right from Earth, that we didn't become sinners, we were sinners, we were born with a sinful nature. And we saw that also in Psalm 51, 55, 1, and we also see it in Romans five, twelve. it says, therefore, just as the one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. So we came to the conclusion last week that, yes, all of us deserve the wrath of God. Because we were all sinners. We are all good for nothing. Rotten people right from the core. And that only by the grace of God. Could that change. And today we will see that come about. As Paul shifts. And changes the the tone. Changes the topic. Changes the, the view. Or looks at the other side of the coin. As they say. And we now look at the righteousness of God. And we will see that Paul shifts from the wrath of God to the righteousness of God and from condemnation to justification. Now, the justification or the righteousness of God is the key theme of the book of Romans. That make sure you r- highlight because that is what Paul is getting across throughout the book of Romans and as we will see is the highlighting and the importance of the righteousness of God. And that that righteousness, that justification can only come as we are justified by faith. Now the lifelong question always comes. That someone at some point in your life is going to ask this question. How can I be saved? How can I be justified? How can I be made righteous before God? How can I have eternal life? That question will be asked by all at some point. But how do you answer that question? How can you answer that question if someone asks you that question? Does it just, just happen? Well, Paul explains it here, and on into next week, as we see in chapter 4, he explains it very practically. Now, we also see that this question has been asked from the very beginning of time in, in one of the oldest books. We see Job himself in the book of Job, Job chapter 9 verse 2, asked that very question. We also see the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 verse 16. How can I have eternal life? The Philippians jailer even asked that question in Acts chapter 16 verse 30. What must I do to be saved? How can I be righteous before God? That is the question that has been asked by all. But take note. Last week we saw Paul stating clearly that the law condemns all of us. It points all of us to the only hope of salvation that we have, and that is the grace and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ, period. There is no other way. And any religion or anybody outside of a religious uh, or organization that says you can add or delete from that and and you can still be saved because you're just a good person, is wrong because it goes against the clear teaching of the word of God. And the fact that all of us, Jews and Gentiles, are all under sin, then there's no difference between a Jew and a Gentile in terms of salvation, each one of us who believes in Jesus Christ is justified from all the sins he or she has ever committed. And so the question is, is then what is justification it means that it's just as if we've never did it. When God says, "I have," ju- you've been justified. It says, "You've never." As we sang, "I have been justified. I've ne- like I've never sinned before." Now that's very difficult for many people today because it's hard for them to grasp a hold of the fact that they've been justified by God because they have been forgiven of their sins by God. That they can't just let it go. They because they, they they continue to live in the past, or they continue to live and and or allow the enemy to condemn them of their past. But God is forgiven, God is justified, so that we can stand before Him cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. God looks at me as though the rebellious, disobedient, sinful of my past has ever been, has never happened. justification means to be made righteous, not by the law. Not just knowing God generally, but that we are linked to Jesus Christ personally. It's that personal relationship with Jesus Christ that makes us justified, or righteousness of God in my life. You can't just have a generic I love God and not realize you must have a personal relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is the key. James says the demons have a belief in God, but they're not saved. They know there's a God. They but that doesn't make them saved. That does not justify, who, justify them, and they will not be in heaven. Well, you can go back and read James chapter 2, verse 19. So it's not enough for a person to say, I believe in God and go to church. No, we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because the source of justification lies in the embodiment or the embedment in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Period. There is no debating of that. And as we learned before, you're just just a heathen who wants to justify their sinful lifestyle. Or you're the moralist who put yourself in God's position. You love to judge other people. Or you're the religionist who goes by the law and thinks you're somehow awry because you know the law inside and out. We learned all that. But Paul says here, where the righteousness of God comes about, with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that, God credits my faith in Jesus as righteousness. My hope is in the gripping power and the loving grace of God through his power of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15 verse 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And if you think you can do something apart from him, you've been deceived, you've been fooled, you've lied, you've been lied to, and you've accepted that lie. Because apart from Christ, I have no justification before God. None. None whatsoever. But when I choose, and God has given you a choice, but when I choose to abide in Christ, my salvation and relationship with God doesn't vary. It's not iffy. I can walk confidently and strongly and and, and head up and, and my eyes pointed to heaven knowing that my relationship is not iffy. It's not varying based on my emotions or my feelings or what people say. I go based on what the word of God says. That's my solid foundation. That's the rock I stand on. Not on my faithfulness, but his faithfulness the fact that he will keep his word. And so as I grow in my faith and understanding after giving my life to Jesus, I came to an understanding that true righteousness is not based on rules. It's not even based on this religious do's and don'ts. But it's on my faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And thank God. Thank God that through all my faults that I have, And as God works out those faults in my life. As I continue to pursue him daily. That my faith in Jesus does not change. I still believe in him. I still love him with all my heart. And so as I continue to pursue him personally loving him. And knowing that he loves me. That he is so faithful that he is going to work out whatever it is in my life that is not pleasing him. He's going to reveal that to me and he's going to give me the power to let it go so it fades away from my life. Because he is faithful to start a good work. He starts that good work, he's faithful to complete that work in you and I. The righteousness of God. And it's based in faith alone, in Christ alone. Now we're getting started. Let's turn. Let's read along here verses 21 through 31. Now it's just the warm up. I'm getting ready. Here we go. Romans chapter 3 verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness. Because. his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what? Law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? He is not also the God. Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So here in verse 21, we see right from the very beginning, Paul starts right off by saying, by now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. So we see one of the very first things that the law does, or, in, or the different aspects are pertaining to the righteousness of God, that it is revealed apart from the law. It says right here, he says, but now. So he's making that transition here from section one to section two. He's bringing your attention from let's take away from the wrath of God that I've been talking about and the condemnation by God, and let's talk about the righteousness of God and how that comes about because I want to make sure each one of my readers understands, whoever's reading this, what it is the righteousness of God comes about and what it is not. But he says very right up front, he says the righteousness of God, of God is revealed apart from the law. But we know that also in the scriptures, Romans 7, 12 says the law, the word of God, is holy and just and good. And it reveals the truth. What is morally right? What is the righteousness of God? So the question is, okay, so the righteousness of God is can be revealed to you apart from the law but well, we also know the word of God, the law, also reveals the righteousness of God. So how does that play out here? The question is, how is the righteousness of God revealed apart from the wall? And there is only one answer. And the answer is through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the revelation of God's righteousness incarnate. God is God in the flesh We we know as Jesus Christ. God Almighty stepped out of eternity into time and space in the person of Jesus Christ. So the law was used to bring a highlight of the fact that we're a sinner. He also highlights the fact that we need the righteousness of God. And God then says through the Old Testament into the New Testament of that being revealed apart from the law in the person of Jesus Christ himself. He's 100%. Jesus Christ is 100% man. And he is 100% God. And that is a very key, essential, foundational truth of Christianity. So make that note. That Jesus Christ comes in the person. Or I should say God comes in the flesh. In the person of Jesus Christ. And he is 100% God. He is 100% man. And you must believe and hold that foundation true because many religions today uh, have moved away from that they don't see jesus christ as god they do not see him as one of the godhead god the father the son and the holy spirit the son is not Jesus. they're moving away from that and that is a very essential foundational truth in the christian faith And it's through Jesus Christ that the righteousness of God is revealed. He is the manifestation of God's righteousness incarnate. Now we also see, apart from the law, that the righteousness of God is revealed. But we also see here in the last part of verse 21 that the righteousness of God is also realized or brought clearly to you and I through the law and the prophets that the law and the prophets testify to this fact that God's righteousness comes about to you and I through the person of Jesus Christ really the Old Testament talks about Jesus Christ really yes that is why we study the whole counsel of God from book to book Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that the whole counsel of God is revealed to you and I because the righteousness of God is revealed through the law and the prophets. The law is the written testimony of who God is. Do you want to know who God is? Read the law. Read the first five books. Read the prophets. Read the rest of the Old Testament. And as we study them, as we get to Genesis and start going through, you will see that because it speaks to through the law it's in the in the prophets it speaks to God's character his attributes and the fact that it is absolutely perfect but it speaks to the person of Jesus Christ and he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and what they were writing the messiah was to come and that is in the person of Jesus Christ Jesus said even in Matthew 5, 17, do you not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets? I, I did not come to, to destroy, but to fulfill. Everything they were learning through the all throughout the Old Testament speaks of the coming of the Messiah, and they were putting their faith in that. And so that he now shows and reveals that he came to fulfill everything that was the law and the prophets were speaking to. He is the embodiment of all the law and the prophets that's written in the scriptures. Jesus said in John five thirty nine, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. That is why we study the scriptures in totality. That's why we do not miss anything that the scripture has for us. We study the whole counsel of God. Paul even said that to the Ephesian elders, didn't he? He said that in Acts 20, verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Do you see how important it is? That's why that's one of the key, you know, identities of of Calvary Chapel for us is that we go verse-by-verse verse teaching so that we get the whole counsel of God because we want to miss nothing that God has for you and I. And then next week, we will see in chapter 4, Paul will illustrate this truth. In the law, he's going to use Abraham's life as the example that we will see in Genesis fifteen six, And for the prophets... He's going to use David's life, and then he'll use that as, and we'll see that in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 2. So he's going to use that next week more specifically as, he, as we move on. So we know that the righteousness, or the aspect of righteousness of God is revealed. Now, apart from the law, we see it's received by all who believe. But in verse 22, we see even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all. there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God so he makes it clear Paul makes it clear to you and I and to the readers that salvation is available to all on equal basis everyone has an equal playing field no one can sit there and say oh you're from the other side of the tracks that is why you got saved Oh, you came from a rich family, and you had the education available to you. That is why you got saved. No, no, you can't. Oh, you came from the Jewish family. You're Hebrew. Oh, that's why you were saved. You were raised in a Christian family. You had parents who knew the Lord. That is why you got saved. No, Everyone sinners, and everyone has equal opportunity to make a choice if they want to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Everybody. By putting your faith in Jesus, all who believe will be saved. Justification is for all mankind. Regardless if you're a heathen or a Hebrew, it's for the whole world. How do we know that? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. Didn't that come to your mind? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John three seventeen. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How can this happen? There's only one way to enter into salvation, and that's by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. We are all given a measure of faith to point us to the Savior. How do I know that? Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you, he ought to think, but to think soberly. Why do you think soberly? Why should we be humble, humbled in this? Because it says, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He gives you enough measure of faith to come and make a decision for Jesus. We all have faith that God has given us. But the question is for you and I today is where do you put that faith in? The measure He's given you of faith, where have you put your faith? Is it your faith in Jesus or is it in the world? Is it in Jesus or in yourself? Or another person? Or place? Or thing? Or organization? Where have you taken that measure of faith that God has given you? Did you take it and give it into Jesus? Or have you given it into some system? And where you place your faith will determine your salvation. It will determine your destiny. It's heaven bound or not. But what about others, pastor? What about others? I'm a pretty good person. I look to my right and my left and I'm doing pretty good here. I don't do this. I don't do that. I haven't gone here and I haven't gone there. Here's your problem if you're thinking that. You're. You're looking to the wrong person to the left and to the right. The only person you can compare yourself is to Jesus Christ. He's the only perfect one. Comparing yourself with your neighbor is not going to help you. Comparing yourself between you and your spouse will not help you. Comparing to yourself with the person sitting to the right or left is not going to help you. It's between you and God, and we have a problem comparing ourselves to the wrong person. But what about the Old Testament people? What about those who lived before the cross, before Jesus died? What about them? How are they saved? Well, they're saved the same way you and I are saved, by faith. Really? Oh, yes. The Bible says in Genesis 15:6 that Abraham believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham was saved by faith just like you and I. And yes, that was before, um, before circumcision was laid out as a commandment in Genesis 17. So he, didn't have, he wasn't following the law or following steps to be able, oh, I got circumcised, so I must be saved. No, 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 that was before. He, he was saved by faith before that circumcision commandment. He was saved before Exodus, before the law was given under Moses. So he can't sit there, I'll listen and I did all ten commandments, so I'm saved. No, no, no. He was saved by faith before the commandments were given. Today, your homework is to go back and read Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 11. Read the hall of faith of those who were saved by faith. Look and see the diversity in their background. Study the lives of those people. See, the Old Testament saints looked forward to the cross, to the coming of the Messiah by faith, and they were saved. They knew the Messiah was coming. They believed it by faith. They did not have sight. They did not see Jesus at that. They believed by faith, and they were saved. The New Testament saints, you and I, look back to the cross, to the Messiah, in the life of Jesus Christ, by faith, and we are saved. Do you see that? It's by faith. It's not by works. Isaiah 61.10 says, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness do you notice at the end of verse 22 that not only are any of those who believe to all who believe they're saved but not only to all but it says also if you notice the scripture this says on all as well did you notice that to all and on all so not only to all who believe, but then God comes and clothes us or garments us with the robe of righteousness. Psalm two nine says, we are clothed with righteousness. 2 Chronicles 6.41, we are clothed with salvation. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Do you see how when we just put our faith in the, in the Lord, that God comes and a great the great picture is the fact that those, those nasty, dirty, sinful clothes are, we don't have to wear those anymore. He comes and clothes us and robes us with his righteousness. New clothes, clean clothes. And so the question I always ask myself when I first got saved, why would I go back and keep putting back on the old clothes? They're stinking, smelly, holy, nasty. Why would I go wake up in the morning and decide to go back and put on the old clothes? When God has fresh, clean, beautiful clothes he's given me, a robe of righteousness, why wouldn't you? In your right mind, you wouldn't, would you? He clothes us in righteousness. He clothes us in salvation. The entire human race was plunged into sin by Adam has sinned and falls short of the glory of God we see here in verse 23. We are all good for rotten sinners. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it makes no difference of who we are because God looks upon his glory comes and his outward manifestation of his attributes, his awe, his splendor, because he desires for you and I to Become more like him. Become Christ-like. Because that is his love. His love, his grace, is just pours out. And that's where we get God's forgiveness. And that's where God forgets our sins. How do we know that? Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he's removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews 10 17 their sins and their lawless deeds I remember no more so when you're speaking to someone who is trapped in their past that they cannot grip and hold on to the fact that God has forgiven them has forgotten their sins have has let them they're free they've been robes of righteousness God does not see the sins that they've done they've been forgiven Bring them back to the scriptures that told the truth and give them the scriptures. Just don't give them your words. Give them the scriptures that have taught over time has speak truth to the lives of those individuals so that they can be free. Because the word is true. And the word needs to penetrate. It needs to get inside. It needs to be etched in their hearts because There's going to be a time where people are going to go through, you have gone through traumatic experiences that you must hold on to the truths of God and not be holding on to the feelings and emotions of your past. Because your past does not dictate your future. God dictates your future. If you will let him do that. We are justified by the finished work of Jesus' cross and the work and we now receive the righteousness of God in us and on us. In verse 24 we now see another aspect of the righteousness of God and that is the redemption through Christ. We see here in verse 24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have been justified by grace. So, what is grace? It is that unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor that God is willing to be poured out onto your life. And because of man's sin, God has stepped in with his provision of righteousness. He has made a way. He has come up with a solution for our sin problem. You're not able to solve your sin problem. But God came and gave you a solution. You just have to choose it. It's free. It's a gift. And God's justification of those who choose to believe in, in the fact that he's provided this free gift of grace, this unmerited favor that you and I did not deserve. And he did that by sending his only begotten son to redeem mankind. Redemption means to liberate or freed by a ransom uh, payment. And if you look at the original Greek word here for redemption, it's called Apollotrus, which speaks of a man going into jail, purchasing a slave for the purchase of uh, for the purpose of setting him free totally and completely, never to be a slave again. Redemption. Jesus was willing to come so that he could come. And purchase you out of the slave of sin. Out of the grips of Satan. Not to make you a slave to Jesus. Not to be a slave to this world. But to set you free completely. Never to be a slave to sin or Satan ever again. He purchased you. And then set you free. Do you understand it? Have you gripped that into your life and understanding what it means to have, to be born again, to be saved? Jesus said in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants, but what? Friends. That the payment was made by the death of of Christ on the cross at Calvary and that price of payment for human sin, which was secured and released for that forgiveness of, and salvation for anyone who believes. 1 Timothy 2.6 says, Jesus, you gave himself, who gave himself a ransom to all to be testified in due time. That's why we sang the song, Jesus paid it all. To all him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He's made me whitest. Oh, I love it when it has a snowfall here in the north country. Because it reminds me that Jesus redeemed me and I have been forgiven. We also see here in verse 25 that that propitiation or the ransom price was paid. For whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to redeem to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has pa- had passed over the sins that were previously committed so the propitiation or another name that we see it as the mercy seat it's only seen this word is only seen twice in the new testament hebrews 9 uh 9, 5 referring to the mercy seat and here the rep- propitiation means there's a payment or a sacrifice that was made. Now, where does this mercy seat come into play? Well, that takes you back into Leviticus chapter 16, verse 15, which we refer to as Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, where the high priest went into the, um, the temple, into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and there he took that that goat, that sacrificial animal, he took the blood and he sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant so that 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 blood would cover the sins of Israel for that year. And that could only be done by the high priest. That could only be done by the sacrificial animal that was a perfect animal. There was no blemish. There was nothing on there wrong with it, it was sacrificed, it was that blood that was then sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies for the forgiveness or the covering at that time of the sins of Israel. And that that act, a sprinkling of blood on that sacrifice or on that mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant paid the ransom price for those sins of Israel and redeemed them out from under their sin. This was the cover or the atonement for the Israel's sins as a nation and it satisfies God's wrath for another year now Paul is bringing this in so there is a parallel for you and I that Jesus Christ is the sacrificial lamb and his blood is what's coming to be the sacrifice for you and I because it's only by blood that can cover the sins of the world And it's by that blood of Jesus Christ that paid the ransom price for your sin and my sin and redeem us from Satan and from the sins that we were wallowing in. Amazing that Jesus Christ left heaven to live among us and to die for us. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was slain before the foundations of the world that we see in Revelation 13. 8. And Jesus' Jesus's death is the final sacrifice which completely satisfied, satisfied God's demand against sinful people and changed the course of his wrath from those who believe. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That is good news you should be sharing with those who have not believed yet. First Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And we celebrate that, don't we? We come together as a church family. Occasionally we come together. We come to the Lord's table. We come to communion and commune with our Heavenly Father, the bread representing his body and the cup pointing to his blood. Why we sang the old hymn, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we celebrate that. But see, at the end of verse 25, there are some today who said, Well, why isn't God judging those who who do not believe yet? Well, we already studied that part back and get get the first couple of teachings in Romans chapter one. But we know in Second Peter three nine says the Lord is not slacking concerning his promise as some count slackness. But in long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, just because Jesus hasn't come back and raptured us out of here. Don't count that as slackness, like God is not really caring and doesn't, his his forbearance, his his delay in coming and dealing with sin. Don't count that as somehow giving you a pass to continue to live in your sin. It's only by his grace that he hasn't come back to you if you do not believe and hasn't dealt with your sin. You better be thanking God now that he hasn't come back yet. That he's given you time to repent and surrender your life to Christ. Oh, how I ponder on many times, oh God, I thank you for not coming back and answering the prayers of saints 30 years ago or 50 years ago or 100, you know. What would have happened if you came back while I was in my sin and hadn't given my life to you? So I'm thankful. That's why we're very thankful that it gives us another day, an opportunity to reach someone who has not, been, who has not believed yet. Because his restraint, his forbearance, his long-suffering toward our sin, just take note, it will be judged in due time. But by his grace, he's giving you time to reach those who are still lost. Verse 26 He says, Paul says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that we might be just and a justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is a just God. We also know that he is a loving God. We know John declares in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. We can hold on to that. We can hold on to that so tight and clear. But we also know in John, uh, 1 John Chapter 1, verse 5, God is also light. So therefore, God loves deeply, and he also sees our rebe- uh, rebellion state clearly as well. Nothing passes his eyes. But God's love is not blind. He is not in darkness but in light and so God is not going to overlook a person's sins he he, if he does then he's no longer a God of light he cannot pass over sin so what's the solution how is that all played out in this word called justification and being redeemed through the work of Jesus Christ how is that played out well there's an illustration that I have read and I have seen and I have heard taught many 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 times. There was a 17-year-old boy wild boy lived in a rural country just loves fast cars. And then once again he's as a young man with a fast car has the freedom to just speed and go out of control down the country's country rural areas. But it happened to be that the law, he broke. And the law happened to be there tracking him. Stops this young 17-year-old boy and brings him to court. He walks into the court to meet the judge for the penalty for breaking the law. And guess who walks out from the back of the room but the judge, and the judge happens to be His father, the son's father. Oh, dad is the one judging today. I was afraid he's going to find out. But then also, he's going to find out. But he's the, my father's the judge. I'm going to be just fine. Father has his robe on, listens to what the charges were. Found out he broke the law, clear as can be. The father, the judge brings down the gavel. You're guilty. Pay a thousand dollar fine, or you go to one year in jail. Son comes unglued. Dad, how can you be like this, father? You know I don't have a thousand dollars. I cannot pay that. And he says, send them to jail. Here comes the bailiff, starts getting ready to put the cuffs on the boy to take him to jail for a year. But the judge takes off his robe. Comes off the bench, walks to the boy, and says to the bailiff, I'm his father. Pulls out his checkbook and writes the $1,000. and says, I will pay the penalty of $1,000 so that this son can be set free. Do you see it? God the Father sent his only begotten son to pay with his own blood so that you did not have to pay the penalty for your sin, that you could be set free and not go to hell. But think about this. What happens if, when the father comes down and says, I'm willing to pay the thousand dollars to set you free? What would happen if the son said, Dad, I can't believe you had even judged me in the first place. How could you judge me? I'm your son. I, did, I have the freedom to do whatever I want. You're the judge. I could do whatever. I, I don't. I, that was a harsh punishment. You know I didn't have $1,000. You know I couldn't keep the law. You know and I know, anyone in that court listening to that son, go against the father because he thought his father was too harsh would not have any sympathy for that son would they because he was given a free gift and he chose to reject what the father see the the judge had to do what the judge had to do but the father gave an opportunity for the son to be set free out of love Our Father's given you and I an opportunity. Do you choose that free gift of being set free from jail of sin? Have you? Or do you reject it because you are too busy saying, I've got a plan, my own plan. I've got my own ways. I'm doing my own thing. I don't have time for this. I've got a career that I've got to focus on. Who has time? I'll take my chances if I go to jail. Someone else will bail me out. Mom will come and bail me out. No, she won't come to bail you out. Your good deeds are not going to pay you, set you free. Only father had the solution to be able to set you free see there's two groups today of religious groups today there are those who emphasize behaving teach it all the time preach all the time oh you need to behave this way you have to behave that way the other group or religious group focuses on and emphasizes believing you need to believe in jesus christ In James, we see he tells us that the emphasis needs to be on believing, doesn't it? Since the way we believe will affect the way we behave. That's why we don't teach, oh, behavior modifications here. Because we know when you have a strong faith and belief in Jesus Christ, it's only a matter of time your behavior will line up with the scriptures you know. That the things that God has revealed in your life, your behavior will line up with what is good and right and just. Because the Holy Spirit's doing a work in your life. And so Paul here in the last few verses here, and we'll wrap this up. Verse 27, where is boasting then? Those who boast in the positions and what they've done on this earth. How is that going to play out? It is excluded, he says. What about the law or works? No, but by the law of faith. So we know the righteousness of God is re- will remove any boasting that takes place in heaven. Praise the Lord. Can you imagine if God allowed the boasters to be in heaven? They'd be boasting about everything. Did you see how much I wrote my, read my Bible every day? Did you see how much I prayed? you see the... the the scales on my knees for being on my knees because I prayed every day on my knees. You stood. That wasn't good. They'll be boasting on everything. I went to church every Sunday and three more times during the week. No, no. There'll be no boasting. The righteousness of God washes away any boasting. We see it in 1 Corinthians 1.26. For you... For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. So those those who think they're better than others, take note. You're at risk. Those who think they're mighty and stronger and wealthy and white, you're at risk. You think your flesh is stronger. You're at risk because no one in heaven will look at me look at I look what I kept all the commandments look at me look at me no no all attention will be on Jesus Christ their savior and you will bow down and you will worship him in verse 28 Paul says therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law so we even see the righteousness of God the deeds that you do are not going to be Counted as righteous. Only the righteousness of God and what he gives will be counted. No deed can possibly give us a right standing before God. And today, so many religions say, you must go do this and earn your way to heaven. You must earn God's love. No, he loved you before you were even, even thought about turning your life to him. even in Romans 3:20 we saw therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight for the for by the law is the knowledge of sin Romans seven seven, what shall we say then is the law sin certainly not on the contrary i would not have known sin except through the law for i know not have it, for i would not Have known covetousness unless the law said, You shall not covet. See, the law brings to light boundaries and understanding of where we are to be, what is good and right and just. And for us to think we can just break the law, that the law is optional, God says the righteousness of God is what we should follow. And then, right here in verse 29 and 30, We see, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. So there's no partiality. There's no one's going to be more than another. Romans 2.11 says, for there's no partiality of God. Peter said in Acts 10.34, in truth, I perceive that God has no partiality. We're all lumped together. We're all going to be equally looked and and examined. And then in verse 31, do do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So for us, knowing the law, knowing the word of God, knowing that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, that makes us righteousness- before God. We're justified before God. That when we do that, we, what we bring to light is that we're actually reaffirming what God's Word says through our life when we do do this. We are saved by grace through faith. That is why the law was to bring highlight to us. Because if we didn't know that we we're sinners, then we wouldn't know that we need to be saved. But by bringing the law out in front of us to say this is what you need to be and you know you fall short of that, then you realize you need a savior from the sin that is dominating your life. It goes hand in hand. So the question that many people today ask, well, then why have the law? Why even study the Old Testament? And there are churches out there today that don't even study the Old Testament. They're a New Testament church only. But Paul makes it certain and clear right now. We do not get rid of the law. We reaffirm what the law had been talking about and pointing toward the Messiah to come and that we need a savior. That the law is perfect and holy and is a picture of God. It shows how important it is for you and I to know. The Bible tells us in Galatians 3.24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. And so next week we will see. Paul will use Abraham's life as an example of someone coming to faith. We will see as it plays out in Romans chapter 4 and into chapter 5. We will see salvation through faith alone in Christ alone in the lives of these people. See, the good news for us, the good news is that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we now have the righteousness of